buy it, use it, break it, fix it, trash it, tend it, mail, upgrade it, chart it, point it, zoom it, press it, snap it, work it, quick, erase it, write it, cut it, paste it, save it, load it, check it, quick, rewrite it, plug it, play it, burn it, rip it, track it, drop it, zip and zip it, lock it, fill it. Hello, my name is Tom Chick. You are listening to the Quarter to Three Games Podcast, where we talk to the people who make the forum what it is about the games that matter to them. Today we are here with Rorschach, uh, whose actual name is Paul Tobia. I got that right, right? Close enough. Tobia, Tobia, uh, Tobia. Okay, it's which syllable? Okay, good. Uh, Now, uh, everyone, of course, knows you as Rorschach. Uh, However, I can say, I'm sitting here looking at you through your webcam. You don't look anything like that dude in the Watchmen movie. No. But that's what your name is from, I bet. Yeah, it absolutely is. Um, back when I first uh, when I first started college, um, somebody twigged me on to the Watchmen um, comic, and, and I saw that, and I thought that was just the coolest thing in the world. I mean, my comics up to that point was X-Men and stuff like that, but uh, Sandman and Watchmen really got me into kind of, I guess, the mature, more literary side of things. Mm-hmm. I just thought Rorschach was a cool name and a cool handle, so I actually wound up uh, grabbing uh, the domain for it, Rorschach.net. I got the Twitter for it, all that kind of stuff. I mean, this was back in 92, 93, so pretty far back. Now, you know the question that I have to ask you. Uh, Were you okay with the movie? Actually, I liked the movie. Uh, I thought they did a very good job. You know, it's very similar in my mind to something like a Lord of the Rings. You can't translate it word for word directly from the original media into a movie. You have to make some changes, and and I was okay with them. Now, did the thing at the end with the not having the psychic squid thing, did that bother you, or were you okay with that change? I was okay with that. I mean, I kind of understood why they did things that way. I didn't think that necessarily the squid was would have been would have been unfilmable, other than you had to do the entire setup for it. So, right. uh, you know, going back with how they created it and all of those sorts of things. So it was, it was a little bit easier, I think, and neater to just kind of tie everything back into back into Doc Manhattan. Now. It was actually it was actually with that movie it was kind of interesting because my wife um, I, I dragged her along to the movie as well and she never read the graphic novel ah. so she was going into that movie completely expecting something like Spider Man or X Men or stuff like that and after we left she's like that wasn't really a superhero <laughs> movie was it that was that was something else that was something I kind of liked that so it was kind of interesting getting that outside view of somebody who just found Watchmen the first time with with the movie as opposed to... And I have to wonder, too, did that hurt the movie's sort of commercial success? I I don't know the answer to that, but uh, that was something I really enjoyed about it as well. I didn't know the comic. I'm not a big fan of superhero motifs necessarily, but I loved what they were doing, and I have to wonder how hard of a sell was that for them? Uh, I kind of feel bad for for Zack Snyder and... Yeah, it was it was definitely a labor of love. You know, it wasn't it wasn't what it wasn't the Spider-Man thing, but it wasn't slavishly back to what the what the graphic novel was. He kind of went on a little bit his own path, and 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 I think that's kind of the result that you see why it's not as big as Avatar or Titanic. Oh, that or <laughs> now, how do you? I don't know. You, you live here in Southern California with me, but you're down in San Diego, so I don't know how. Uh, like immersed you guys are like in industry talk, but you know, the Academy Award nominations just came out 
And I know some people feel that, that overlooking Jackie Earl Haley's performances as Rorschach for supporting actor nomination is is just terrible. That guy was so good. Uh, yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you, Tom. I, I, I listened to, to your guys' uh, movie podcast on that and totally agree with it. I thought he did a great job. I'm, I'm actually uh, very interested in the actor now. He's got a little uh, he's got a little series. He's a supporting actor on a, on a Fox TV show now, an action show called uh, Human Target. Oh. That's got the that's got the guy from Keen Eddie on it. He's the he's the protagonist, and Jackie and it's like this ex spy uh, kind of thing. And Jackie Earl Haley actually plays one of his sidekicks, but he's the guy with the dark past. He's the guy who'll just as soon shoot you as help you, or things like that. And I, I'm really enjoying seeing seeing a little bit more of the man behind the mask there. That is great. I, I had no idea he had a steady TV gig. That, well, do you know what his next movie is? No. Oh, I don't know how I feel about this, Paul. He is in the Nightmare on Elm Street remake as Freddy Krueger. As Freddy. Oh. <laughs> I mean, part of me is like, yeah, great, you know, get your paycheck, Jackie Earl Haley. But, I mean, how, how much can you do with that? And I, I don't know. Maybe yeah. maybe they'll make good use of him as an actor, but... Uh, uh, yeah, how how much can you really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. I mean, there's there's. You can do a little bit more than like Jason or Mike. True. Or like I mean, where it's just basically you're behind a mask and going. Oh, snap, snap, snap. So, you know, at least he gets to talk or something. Exactly. And, and there's his face there too. That was one of the remarkable things about uh, Watchmen is that his so much of what he did was without being able to see his face. You know, his voice work and and at least as Freddy Krueger, I guess they'll just put a layer of burn makeup on him. Him, but it'll still be his face there. Yeah, I, I thought that was, you know, that's another thing that really, in terms of a superhero movie, I thought it was great because you always saw the stuff in, like, Spider-Man. It was, like, at the climax of the movie, for some reason, everybody loses their masks <laughs> so you can actually see the actors. You know, it's just such a contrived thing that they do that because, oh, my God, you actually have to see Willem Dafoe. You can't, you know, right. you can't, if you don't see him, then it's not enough of a movie, and why do we pay all this money for him? But Jackie Earl Haley was like, yeah, fine, I'll do. 95% of the movie where you can't even see my face. And, and, I thought that was great. And what it does, too, is when when he's that good and when he's so invested in the role like he was, when you finally do see his face, it is so incredibly powerful. Like those prison scenes where he's unmasked and just, you know, his face is naked. Those are amazing bits of work. Uh, yeah, and he's just a little weasel yes. guy, which is, you know, he's just he's just a punk. Yeah. Now, is That's that awesome. true to the comic book? Like, is is because that that absolutely. Oh, so even in the comic, I mean, he's sold as he's oh, yeah. not a physically imposing figure. Not okay. at all. Nope. Yeah, you know, one of these days I'm going to go back and actually read that because I really liked the movie. I tried to read the comic uh, several years ago. My brother-in-law's a huge fan, and and it just kind of bounced off me. But I so admire what they did in that movie. So so you dragged your wife to it. Was was that a tough battle? Not really. She's uh, she's very much she she's she has some geek tendencies as well. So um, she definitely. I mean, she puts up with me. She's put up with me for the last ten <laughs> years. So we we have an understanding around those sorts of things. I I, I make do with her uh, predilections for uh, for tacky vampire movies and novels and things like whoa, that. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. She's she's okay with the sci-fi. Does stuff. that does that mean that you saw Twilight? I did not see Twilight. Fortunately, it's not that bad, but it's definitely, you know, True Bloods on the DV on the DVR, you know, <laughs> things like that. She'll pick up a trashy vampire novel and read it, you know, if we're traveling somewhere, things like that. Now, you guys have been, uh, I understand, very busy lately. In the last seven weeks, it sounds like you've had your hands full. What have you guys been up to? 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, seven weeks ago, almost seven weeks ago, I uh, had a baby girl, had a baby daughter. So. And what name did you come up with? Uh, we named her Evane. That's her full name, but we call her Eve. Eve is her nickname. Like E-V-A-I-N? Uh, E-V-A-I-N-E. That's yeah. beautiful. What, now, what is that from? Now, it's actually, I've only had one person so far figure out where the reference for, I mean, where's it from? I mean, that's a little bit, that's a bit, a little bit like my favorite quote of Pulp Fiction. You know, I'm an American baby. Our names don't mean shit. But <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's actually, it's from Stardust, the book and the movie. The, the star that falls to earth, her name is Evane. And we just really liked the name, not that it necessarily meant anything. And it's spelled differently in the book, but we thought it would be cool to have a, uh, to have a name where you can shorten it down. If she doesn't like Evane because it's too pretentious or something like that, fine, just go with Eve. I, by the way, you guys have totally cemented your reputation as dorks now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so Evane is, is seven weeks old. Uh, how, yep. You get much sleep lately? How's your, how, many, how much time do you have for gaming these days? <laughs> Um, it's actually, well, the last couple of weeks I, I spent so uh, spent at home, so it took some time off of work to uh, to take care of her and take care of the family. So, you know, it's little bits and pieces. I actually was able to get through uh, Batman Arkham Asylum, got that for Christmas. So um, that's, that's about as much as I've been able to do. A little bit of Borderlands with my brothers online. We do the co-op of that. So I've been able to get in some gaming here and there, but definitely not... Um, things that I'm used to, and I guess that's going to change, you know. It's a Friday night, and I get on the computer, you know, at 11 o'clock and 2 in the morning I go to sleep. You know, that's that's a pretty regular weekend for me. So um, it, it's smaller bits and pieces now is, is, is my gaming. But she's doing great. Uh, my daughter is uh, is awesome. She's she's beautiful and wonderful, and even when she cries, it's, it's pretty cool. And this is your first baby, right? Yeah, first child. Okay, now let me ask you a question. So do you ever play MMOs? I did back in the day. The two MMOs that I've actually played are City of Heroes and I did some Warhammer Online. Okay, is it is it harder to come up with a name for your character in Warhammer or for your daughter in real life? Um, yeah, that's a that's a that's a good one. We had a we had a list uh, we had a list of names that we were gonna that we were gonna have for the baby and and uh, we didn't know the sex of the baby until she was born. So ah. we actually had two lists of names. Um, we went kind of old school surprise surprise with that stuff. And and I'm glad that it worked out because all of our guy names. <laughs> okay, can I ask what would it, what uh, Evane's name would have been if she had been a dude? Do you guys know? There was there was there were some things that we were going back and forth with, with like uh, Noah and stuff like that. One of the dangers is is that you know you come up with a cool name and then you go to like babynames.com and you find out that it's like the third most popular name you know from two years ago. And you know I got a pretty basic name. Name's Paul. My wife's name is Amy. So you know how many Pauls are there? You know when I went into my class or Chris's or Jennifer's or stuff like that. You you know you don't want to do that to your kid. You don't want to you don't want them to have uh, the name that everybody else has. But, and you, that's but, a great twist, by the way, with letting her go by Eve if Evane does, doesn't work out. I mean, that, that's it's yep. sort of like you gave her a plan B. Very nice. Yeah. Uh, now, uh, one of the things I know about you is that you are almost uh, like an ambassador for, uh, I, I think it's Kerberos. They, they use a hard, they, they use a K instead of a C. Uh, yeah, pretty much. So yeah. they're the folks that made Sword of the Stars. Uh, yep. And now you, you don't you don't work for them or anything. You're just a huge fan of the game, and you're almost like this online 
voice for it? Like, would would you say, how about evangelist? Does that work? Yeah, I think evangelist works. Um, it, it was really weird, kind of how things fell into it. It was it was back when those guys were Barking Dog, um, and their first game that they kind of made on their own. They were the, pretty famous for Homeworld Cataclysm back in the day, and then they kind of struck out on their own and they made the uh, the Treasure Planet Battle at Procyon game. <laughs> Which was the Treasure Planet game that didn't suck, and, and nobody really nobody really knew about it. I, I, I even heard a, a, a story that you know some gaming magazines used that as the test game when they when they were hiring reviewers and things like that. It's like play this game and write a review, and, and you know you go into it saying, oh, it's a Treasure Planet game, it's gonna it's gonna suck. But actually, it had a lot of kind of Starfleet battle kind of feel to it, so it was really cool. So I did a little write up on the on the website that I was at and all that stuff, and uh, and. So wait, real quick, Paul, were, were you was this how you found Treasure Planet? Were were you said were, were you told, hey, do a write up on this? No, okay. no, I didn't. I mean, this was just on my own. I mean, I knew it was the Barking Dog guys. I knew it was the guys who did Homework Cataclysm, and I loved Homeworld. Um, so I was like, okay, let's see what they do next. So I went and I played it, and I actually, for some reason, the target in my in Kansas City had it released a couple days early before anybody else. So I got on there and I played it, and I'm like, holy crap, this game is good. So I did a write-up on it, and I guess it got back to those guys. So then you fast-forward like four or five years, something like that, and I actually heard through Penny Arcade that some of the ex-barking dog guys, some of them went one way with the ironclad folks who did the excellent Sins of a Solar Empire, and then a couple of the other guys went the different way to be uh, Kerberos and started working on the Sword of the Stars. So I'm like, oh, I'll go check that out. And I go on the website and see what's up there. And, I, and they're starting, one of the things that the Kerberos guys do that, that gets them a lot of flack, actually, but is kind of cool is that they don't really have a PR guy. If you go onto their, on, onto their forums, the number one poster is Martin Cerulis. Uh, he, he posts multiple, multiple times a day, and he doesn't do it with a filter. And, and <laughs> so you get, you get raw developer, CEO, uh, you know, video game designer in your face all the time. But they started teasing all this information about, about Sword of the Stars, and, uh, and people were starting to put together facts and stuff like that. But really, you know, they were throwing out stuff on a, on a regular basis. So I said, uh, you know, I was goofing around with technology, uh, saw MediaWiki, saw what was happening with that. And again, this is like four years ago. Um, so I decided to put together a wiki, and I said, you know, instead of doing this FAQ that one or two people actually owned, you know, let's put, let's have the community take all this pre-release information and throw it out there and put it on the website, and you, everybody, the community as a whole, can edit it. And that actually turned into SOTS.Rorschach.net, which is kind of the kind of almost the the game guide for for Sword of the Stars, and you know through those guys, and I contacted them, I said, hey, you may not know who I am. But I got this idea, and they're like, "Oh yeah, Paul, great, cool. Where you been? You know, let's let, let's go do it." And so that's kind of from there, you know, the the friendship side of things went along. But but um, you know, I've been watching what they're doing uh, ever since, and uh, you know, just talking about Sword of the Stars and stuff like that. I, I mean, I, I don't want to come across as a, as a viral marketer. I just I just really really like the game. So. Um, you know, willing to talk about it, answer questions. I did some little uh, video things uh, to kind of do little video walkthroughs, and they thought it was a cool idea, so they threw it on the disc of one of their expansions, you know, things like that. So that's 
that's been a you know, it's been a fun kind of side project for the last for the last couple. Now, have you ever responded to a, another game sort of as, as enthusiastically as you obviously respond to Sword of the Stars? Is there something special about that game, or was it a matter of just time and place and experimenting with the whole wiki format? Uh, what, what is it about it, that game that that hooked you like this? Um, it, 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 a lot of it was the time and space. You know, just just you know, I was interested in that. I was looking for something to do with my domain. Uh, thought it was cool technology and found a, an interesting application for it. Um, but the other part of it is is that there's actually some things that they build. And here I'll start going into evangelist mode. There's there's some of the randomness that they've built into that game. You know, the the, the core game has been out for over four years now. And if you go on the boards and you talk to people who play who play this game hardcore there is still no one build uh, order for this game there isn't one technology that beats everything else because of the randomness of the game the randomness of the uh, of the tech tree combined with the simulation part when your ships actually fight each other so it's not two hit rolls it's like turret tracks it fires the bullet goes into a path and if it hits a and if it hits a polygon you know that's when you actually do damage so the interaction that complexity uh, of the system you know keeps it kind of fresh and it's always it's always something different when you play it so there's people out there who've played it more than I have over the last 4 years and it's and it's still a challenge there's still you know something new that shows up when you play it and it uh, and it keeps it interesting over time. Now have you followed much about what they've said about Sword of the Stars 2 or is actually is there even much information about that out yet? You know, they just officially so the whole one of the one of the smart things that the guys at Kerberos did and and you know any other developers out there if you have the chance to do it is that they own the IP. So when the, when they first went out and and signed up with a with a publisher uh Destineer Destineer actually um, went away as part of the part of the uh, economic troubles. You know, they they folded up shop, but instead of sort of the stars disappearing at that point, the guys actually owned the IP, so they were able to uh, to get it back and then go find another publisher. And that's where Paradox comes in, and that's kind of what's just been officially announced is that Paradox is now going to publish and, and fund Sword of the Stars 2, which is scheduled to be released sometime next calendar year. So they're just, just right. kind of starting out. Now, is that something, uh, do developers normally sell their IP as well when they do a new game like that to a publisher? Do you know? Honestly, I don't know. I mean, the, the only the only inside track I've ever had, which is with the Kerberos guys and my, and my friendship with them. So I, I don't know how other guys do it. I don't, I don't know. For example, you know, uh, I, I would hope that the Ironclad guys own own a Sins of a Solar Empire. That's a that's a great game and a great world. And and you know, I'm sure Stardock is doing wonderful things for him as a publisher. But um, you know, the question is. Who, who really does own right. that? Is it is it is it the Fraser brothers or is it Brad? Uh, that's that's all part of the contracts and negotiation, is my understanding. Uh, does 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 being involved as as you were uh, in sort of diving as vertically into one game and one developer like you've done, does that ever tempt you to get involved in game development? I mean, I know you already have a stable job. You said you're moving into management, uh, but is that ever a temptation to you, or does having seen it? to the degree that you've seen it make you not want to get involved in game development. You know, I yeah, I I can't quit my day job. <laughs> I, I I unfortunately I unfortunately make way too much money. I mean, it'd be it'd be nice if you know after I retired or something like that, you know, to 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 play around with those sorts of things, but but um uh, 
I, I don't know. I, I'm not a I'm not a programmer by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, I'm an IT administrator type guy. Um, so you know that side of things are out. Um, you know, I do some testing for the Kerberos guys and stuff, but but uh, I, I don't know. You know, seeing seeing how the sausage factory works, <laughs> I, I think I got I think I got a, a better deal doing what I'm doing right now. I, I have to say, the more I see of the games industry, and I, I you know I don't make a great living or anything. It's, there's, there's nothing monetary about it, but I have no desire whatsoever to get involved in development at all. I mean, I just I'm blessed the people that do that. But good lord, I don't want to be a part of that. <laughs> it just, yeah, uh, it would just kill it for me. Um, so, what have you been playing lately? There, yeah, I guess you, you finished Arkham Asylum. You said, uh, yep. and I, I presume that worked for you. You, you. you stuck through it to the end, yeah. Absolutely, I, I liked it quite a bit. I thought it was a, I thought it was a very good game. It definitely uh, deserves the accolades that it's been getting. Um, I just started Dragon Age, so that ah. whole, you know quarter to three game of the year Arkham Asylum versus Dragon Age thing. Uh, not too sure whether where where I'd land on. Were those that, the two finalists? Was it Dragon Age and I, Arkham Asylum? They, they were definitely in the top okay. four. I forget. I kind of forget what the what the other ones were. I don't know. We, we probably messed it up. This is probably where where everybody else is yelling at us on the, on, on the podcast. Now. Yeah. No, you idiot. Yell louder, people. We can't quite hear you. Forgot, you. You, you forgot King's Bounty. <laughs> uh, so, Bean, you're obviously into comics, so you obviously responded a lot to the Batman bits of the game. Uh, how gratifying was it to see? A superhero who's been in so many sort of like middling games, and uh, how gratifying was it to see him given the kind of like attention I think he deserves? It was great. It was it was really. I mean, the the way that they did the stealth, the way that they did the Batman is a badass, but if somebody's got a gun, he's in trouble, and he has to use the gadgets and all. You know, everything that people have been talking about it. I mean, it's it's really it's really just so well executed. I, I remember uh, first discovering when Activision published. I think Treyarch first did them those, those Spider-Man games where they really nailed that web swinging. Uh, but yep. it was sort of put in this not very great open world game. But I remember thinking, wow, you know, they, they, this isn't just where you jump into a bunch of superhero skins and punch people, which is traditionally what they do with that kind of thing. But they really nailed the feel of Spider-Man. And I remember thinking, well, this will be great when they can give him, uh, they can do the rest of the game as well as they do this web slinging. And it really took Arkham Asylum to completely flesh out a superhero identity, a world where he belongs, and gameplay that supports all of it. Uh, that was just so fantastic in Arkham Asylum, I thought. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so how far are you in Dragon Age? Just starting out? Yeah, just starting out. I, I am, uh, I'm, I'm past my origin. I'm uh, in that first battle that goes on, and I'm, and I'm fighting towards the signal tower. Who did you pick? So. What, what race? I am a human mage. Okay, that's a, I think that's a good choice. Uh, and uh, is it working for you so far? Pretty much. I mean, it's definitely I definitely have that old school uh, RPG feel there. You know, just got into my first battle where my party wiped, and it's like, whoops, okay, maybe now I need to do need to start using the space bar and actually some tactics and stuff, and not just spam heals and and lightning bolts and things like that. that that's so. sort of the moment of reckoning in like an RPG like that, isn't it? The first time that you realize, okay, now I have to figure out the game systems. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Exactly. All, all that. You know. All right. Now I got to. 
figure out what I've just loot all for the last two hours, you right. know, and, and what I, what I actually need to equip. Yeah. I I've been fiddling a little bit with Star Trek Online lately, and I I remember the first time that happened. Uh, it's like, okay, well, I can't get by just you know, I can't just cruise by everything. Now I've got to figure out what's going on. Uh, all right, so you today want to talk about a kids game, isn't that right? This is a game for like yeah. babies. Yeah, it, it kind of, it kind of made, it kind of wants you to be like a, like a game for babies, doesn't it? Well, it's it's from Rare, right? These are the guys who make, these are the guys who make baby games. They're the guys who made the, they're the guys who made the Avatar. Oh God! Saturday uh, Avatars and that Saturday morning cartoon show and all that. Stuff. Why would you bring that up, Paul? It's a terrible thing to remind <laughs> people. So I want to read you, Paul, a little passage from. This is the overall framework for how the game progresses in Banjo-Kazooie Nuts and Bolts. So I'm just going to read you this, Paul. This is this is real terminology from the real oh. game. I want you to brace yourself. You actually might need to bring your daughter in to translate. Yeah. Here we go. Here's what you do in Banjo-Kazooie Nuts and Bolts. Get jiggies at the Jigovind for the Jiggy Bank and free Jinjos and capture Minjos. Then do Jinjo challenges to get Jinjo Bingo tokens for King Jingalong and see Mumbo and Humba Wumba. There you go. All of that is true. None of that was invented. That's all in the game. Yeah, unfortunately, you are absolutely correct. But but I would like to, and I, and I apologize because there is actually there's a huge Banjo Kazooie following out there from the from the previous games, from the Nintendo 64. But for the purposes of of this podcast and 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 quarter to three in general, I'm not going to use any of that terminology. <laughs> and I promise you, please please. Don't don't hang up the podcast. Stay with us because I will never ever mention beyond this point right here getting jiggy. Okay, so that's it, it's not going to happen. Well, will you just say the name of Humba Wumba for us just once? Humba Wumba. Right. <laughs> there, that's it. I'm now, did you let me ask before we talk about because I, I'm with you. I mean, it's so it's so misleading to present that as the face of Banjo Kazooie Nuts and Bolts. But before we get into Nuts and Bolts specifically, did you play the other games? Like are, were you familiar with the world of this talking bear and the bird and whatnot? Not in the slightest. I actually I never owned a Nintendo sixty four. I was a Sega guy. I had a I had a Genesis up through the Dreamcast and then uh and then I jumped over to Xbox. So so uh, I did not I did not play any Banjo Kazooie or Banjo Two because actually yeah this was their first Rare's first Banjo Kazooie game that wasn't on a Nintendo system if I'm not mistaken. Yes, yep, you are. Correct. Now having played Nuts and Bolts, are you at all tempted to go back and look at earlier Banjo Kazooies? Well, now here's actually one of the things about it is that they released Banjo Kazooie and Banjo Tooie on Xbox Live Arcade. <laughs> And there are ties. It's called the stop and swap. This is this is one of those stories from back in the days of console gaming that there was supposedly some sort of link between Banjo Kazooie and Banjo Tooie. That, that your actions in Banjo Kazooie actually could affect what happens in Banjo Tooie. And this is years and years before Mass Effect One and Two. <laughs> That's totally what I'm thinking of. Wait a minute. <laughs> 
And it was this and it was this rumored thing called stop and swap. The idea was is that while you're playing Banjo Kazooie, you actually violate the terms and conditions of of your console and unplug the cartridge while it's playing and slam in Banjo Kazooie 2 or Banjo Tooie. And it would read from the memory that you had in Banjo-Kazooie 1 that you had done these certain things, which unlocked stuff in Banjo 2. And did that, did that come about, or that was a pipe dream? It never worked because my understanding, and this is based on the research that I did, Nintendo changed their memory architecture at the last one. Ah. So they couldn't do that. So this was one of the rumors and one of the things back there about that. So what they actually did is they tied Banjo-Kazooie and Banjo-Tooie into nuts and bolts. If you complete things in Banjo-Kazooie, the Xbox Live Arcade version, and you've got a save game of nuts and bolts on your hard drive, it'll actually unlock some of the parts for you uh, when you go back into nuts and bolts. Oh, but it won't influence Banjo-Tooie, for instance. Like, it's it's not that kind of thing. No, it it... it, it, it well, and I'm not too sure, actually, because I, I played a little bit of Banjo-Kazooie because back, if you pre-ordered, um, if you pre-ordered Banjo Nuts and Bolts from Amazon, you got Banjo-Kazooie for free. So I got a free copy of, uh, I got a free copy of Banjo-Kazooie and I tried it out. I played enough of Banjo-Kazooie to get to the first thing that you unlock and then it says, oh, congratulations, you got this stop and swap thing. And I went back into Nuts and Bolts and got the, got the crate and it was like a pair of fuzzy dice and now I can hang a pair Oh, that's cute. From the windshield of, of, of my car. That's um, kind of cute. I like that idea. Yeah. Okay. So, and then um, Banjo-Tooie, um, I never picked that one up, but they actually, they took some of the blueprints from from a contest that they did, and they made those unlockables if you do the if you do the stop and swap stuff from Banjo-Tooie. And they also left hooks in there as well so that a future game can go off of the actions that you did in Banjo-Tooie. Right. Now, now, before we get too much into nuts and bolts, why don't you explain, because the original Banjo-Kazooie games are just straight-up platformers, why don't you explain, I'm, I'm curious to hear how you would present this, what is nuts and bolts? Because it's certainly not a straight-up platformer. How would you ex- describe it to someone? So if if I want to give the one-word one line, I, I loved what you wrote, Tom, about... about um, Viva Pinata, one of the other one of the other rare games that you said it's a I, I believe and I might be misquoting you, but you said it's a game about sex, death, and garbage. <laughs> yes. And, and I and I kind of thought about that, and it's like okay, Banjo Kazooie Nuts and Bolts is a game about design, physics, and challenges is what it's about. It's it's not about platforming at all. The there it's. Kind of a it's an it's an it's set up like a platformer. You have worlds, you have a hub world, you move from the hub world into the different worlds and you do different acts in those worlds, but then each time you go to challenges in each of these worlds and from those challenges you do some sort of race or fetch quest or battle or uh, move these things from here to here or take out those bad guys and the way that you do it is with vehicles and the vehicles are are the platforming the vehicles are your abilities and what you can do in the game banjo kazooie himself he can't even double jump i mean there's there's nothing that you can do with that guy except for build and drive these vehicles that you create mm-hmm. 
And the way that you make these vehicles is out of these hundreds and hundreds of different parts. So you can make cars, you can make hovercrafts, you can make helicopters, you can make airplanes, you can make things with winches, you can make things with guns and missiles and stuff like that. And you put it all together like Legos, like like uh, Lego blocks. And, it, and each block in 3D, you attach them all to each other. And I'll put the wheels here, and I'll put the engines here, and I'll put the wings here, and then go. And then it goes. Uh, Boom. And then there's a whole physics engine that goes around that. So if you put all your engines towards the back of it and you've got nothing up at the front, then you're going to land on your you're going to land on your ass. You're going to you know it's it's you're going to be your your ass is going to be heavy and you, and you're not going to be able to take off. You know all of those sorts of things are just built into this. The reason why I got into nuts and bolts because I'm not a I'm, like I said I'm not a fan of Banjo Kazooie is that um, this was right around the time when Little Big Planet was really getting it was really getting a, a lot of hype, and I thought that was so cool. You know you just got this way of going in there and playing around with stuff and kind of making your own stuff, but I don't own a PlayStation 3. So along comes this thing, and I saw, you know, one of those gameplay videos and stuff like that on YouTube, and I'm like, damn, that ought to be pretty cool. You know, that that, that might be something that I could get into. You know, Paul, that, uh, that little Big Planet analogy is really, that that's that's excellent. Little Big Planet has so much promise on the same level as Banjo-Kazooie, but an, an important difference is that all the stuff you build in Little Big Planet it has almost no gameplay value. I mean, it's so much about the aesthetics of what you're building. It's a very straightforward move from the left side of the screen to the right side of the screen platformer. Uh, but so what you're doing is sort of building a backdrop for your little man walking around. But Banjo-Kazooie Nuts and Bolts has all this building stuff. And it's, it's, a, it's an outlet for creativity. But like you're talking about the, the jet engines on the back making you back heavy, it all has gameplay implications. Um, so it's sort of like the promise of Little Big Planet but with gameplay for, for dorky guys like like you and me who care about that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I, I'm not, uh, you know, I, I mean, from what I understand, I've got a friend who's got a who's got an 8-year-old daughter, and they play the crap out of Little Big Planet. They, they really love it. And my understanding is, is that they've done a lot of cool stuff with uh, the tools and the packs that they've come out with, you know, where you can actually have guns and sensors and things like that. So perhaps... Uh, Little Big Planet is moving towards that, but you know if you can get past this this kind of candy coated Banjo Kazooie yeah. shell that you've got there, this is you know this is a, a pretty hardcore physics vehicle you know challenge thing. I don't, I don't know quite how to describe it. Well, you know it's funny physics can be such a dirty word <laughs> like it can really mean yeah. uh, it can mean so many different things. I mean there's good physics and there's bad physics, and it's such an example of good physics. I mean when you see something happens a certain way. You know, when you see how your airplane reacts if one wing breaks off or when you see how you bang into something and they bounce off each other, I mean, it it, it really just clicks. The physics feels so right, and you can influence them. You, you, you have so much input into the physics based on what pieces you're using and how you arrange them. Uh, so it doesn't feel like some hands-off canned scripting thing going on under the hood that you're vulnerable to. It's really something that you can interact with yeah absolutely and then and then you know kind of going back to what we talked about earlier you know one of the reasons that i've stuck with sort of the stars for so long is that there's always something new and different that you can do well the different types of vehicles that you can create for this finite number of challenges that are out there which is pretty close to 100 so i mean it's not that there isn't nothing you know that you're doing the same thing over and over again in in, in nuts and bolts but um 
you know, you can always try something else. You can always you can always tweak it. What happens if I put another engine on it? What happens if I take the heavy body frame and switch out light light uh, blocks instead of heavy blocks? You know, what happens if I put what happens if I put high grip tires on instead of instead of the slicks? What happens if I use a, a large engine as opposed to a medium or a small? But then I'm going to need new fuel. But then I'm going to put this cool rocket launcher that I just got on. But that needs means I need more ammo, so I got to put the ammo. But then that's going to make my my whole vehicle bigger so I'm not going to be able to fit through this area you know all that kind of stuff so it's just the the iteration the ability to go back and just tweak and design and and figure out and just kind of make you know this is this is my vehicle this is what I've created and I have accomplished this with what I've created you know that's that's a that's a pretty powerful thing in a game. And what, what I like too about their approach to that that you're talking about this sense of ownership for what you've created is that Banjo-Kazooie puts emphasis on that, on your creation, rather than the challenges the developers have created. It's not about trying to figure out what the developers want you to do. It's about you building something according to the specs you want to approach the challenge the way you want. And what it, a way that I, I sort of express this is Banjo-Kazooie lets you break the game if you want. And I'll give you an example. I'm sure you, you could think of some of these too. There's a race around uh, a coliseum and it's just an oval track and there are hurdles so you have to race other cars around there and you have to bounce your car over the little hurdles uh, to go through checkpoints and whoever comes in first place wins pretty straightforward so you can you can build a car you can try to make it fast you can time your jumps or if you want you can just build an airplane and <laughs> fly through the checkpoints and just fly over all of the cars and in any other game, that would be considered breaking the challenge. You're not doing it the right way. You're not facing the challenge. But the the, the primary thing in Banjo-Kazooie is what you build and how you use it. And they let you do that. I, I love the fact that you can subvert the developer's expectations by approaching them however you want for, for many of the challenges, not all of them. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, having that. Yeah, they, they've really, they've really kind of done that. You know, here's here's what we've created. Here's our here's our sandbox that has a couple of rules to it. Now go play. Go go do what you go go do what you want to do. You know, if you want to if you want to take a, a boat on this one, you can take a boat. If you want to take a hovercraft, you can take a hovercraft. You know, th those sorts of things within within reason um, is is really is really a lot of fun, and it adds a lot of variety to the thing because you're not just racing your same car right. around the same track e each time. Now, do you are, were there any of the challenges that really stood out for you that, that you remember? Um, and while you think about it, let me let me tell you about one that I where this was this was one of those moments, one of those wow this game really is cool moments. I remember one where you're you're in airplanes and you have to shoot down a giant I think it's like a dragon balloon or something, mm -hmm. and just the fact that you, you know that they give you you know it's not just a racing game you're actually flying in the air and shooting down the equivalent of a huge zeppelin. I just loved that and and there were physics too. I think where you shot the balloon it would leak air and cause it to sort of be pushed from that direction. Uh, yeah. I love that. That was the one that stood out for me as an early instance of this game is amazing. It, it, I guess thinking back on it, and, and, it, and it's been a while since I've played. I mean, I, I got on a little bit uh, just, you know, to kind of prep for the podcast and make sure. So, I mean, the game did come out in November of 2008, so it's been out for, for, for over a year now. Um, 
I, I really think I have to go back to the uh, to the final boss battle. Ah, I didn't get that so far. You know, I still haven't finished yeah. it. So it's a great final boss battle, you think? So to go into spoilers territory, um, there are there are two things that happen at the boss battle. Um, the first one is is that it, both of the both of the boss battles are, are player's choice, which means you bring in, you bring in your own vehicle. And, and the first one is a series of six challenges, all with the same vehicle. So it's a little bit of everything. You have to do a sumo challenge where you have to push guys out of, out of a ring. You have to do a fetch challenge. You have to do a race challenge. You have to do – and it all has to be done with one vehicle. And so you have to glom so much of your stuff onto this, onto this vehicle so that it's kind of this uh, monster, massive thing that can do all of these things because you can't switch it out. You can't change between these, between these six tasks that are provided. And then once you complete that, then you got to go do the final battle against against the uh, against the final boss, the the witch, and that's against six different vehicles. So you have to fight against a car, and then a tank, and then a fortress, and then a and then a ship, and then an airplane, and all of those sorts of things. And you only get one craft to do that as well. Wow. So so that's really it. Kind of stretches on that, and it's really you know you, you go up against it, and you're like, oh, I just I need I need five more seconds on this thing, so I need something better. <laughs> to transport these things from A to B or I need more weight because I got to be able to push or I need more fuel because I've been you know going down this thing for the last 10 minutes fighting this fighting this battle you know stuff like that so it's really it's kind of that culmination of everything that you've learned up to that point uh, that that comes out in that final boss that is so nice because so many boss battles just change up the rules and sort of pull a bait and switch on you. Like you've been playing this game for 20 hours or whatever. You've learned all these skills. Oh, and now fight this puzzle boss battle that has nothing to do with all the toys that you've been playing with for the last 20 hours. Here's a quick time event. Right, exactly. <laughs> and now you're cinematic and scene. <laughs> yeah. And um, the final battle is actually done in the in the uh, world that's called Spiral Mountain, which is where Banjo-Kazooie 1 and right. 2 was kind of the hub world of that. And it's kind of interesting because you go back there, and it's, and it's to scale from those games. So Banjo-Kazooie is the right size for that hub world. But then you get in your badass jet plane or stuff like that, and it's like, you know, three seconds from one end of the map to the other. <laughs> so uh, it, it really kind of shows you a little bit of the difference. Of course, they upscaled everything and made all nice textures and, and increased the poly count, but it really shows you kind of the detail that they've done with, with all of the other worlds. Well, I, I, that was another huge selling point for the game. One of the things that really hooked me is it was a lovely graphics engine. Uh, they they did a great job with some of those levels. I, w I wasn't crazy about some of them. I, I don't know about you. I hated that one where you're supposed to be inside an Xbox. Yeah, there's really there's there's kind of in my mind there was two types of levels. There were the wide open levels, so it's like the the Nutty Acres levels, the Banjo Land, the Coliseum one. You know, those three are wide expanses, a lot of room to move around. And then you've got these two other levels that are very cramped and very vertical. Uh, one of them being that that Xbox, the inside of the Xbox, the Logbox 720 is what they called it. That's the uh, the the log guy, right? He's running the he's running the whole game um and then the other one is the the final um the terror ter terrarium of terror or something like that it was a whole bunch of these interlocking spheres that are out in space and uh, i mean it's everything is everything is beautiful but really um 
when you get into your vehicles, you really want to zoom around. You really want room to move, and and being cramped in like that was was a little tough. Although I got to say one thing, it scared the crap out of me playing on that uh, on that X. Oh, I know what you're going to say. It tricked me too. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, and 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 all of a sudden, I thought, oh my God, my my Xbox is going to red ring, and and because it was because I was getting this static crap, yep. and then and it was flickering on the screen, <laughs> and then I go over, and there's one of these little gremlin bad guys that is and he's banging his head against the graphics chip and every time he hits the you know quote unquote graphics chip which is a huge stack of these crayons that are out there then the screen of my TV would fritz out and it, and it and it looked like a crash it looked like an error and then every time he hits the audio chip you it dissolves yeah. in the static and stuff <laughs> like that now i i loved though uh nutty acres uh which i'm so goofy saying that but that yeah. to me was uh i, I think one of my like if you were to ever make a list of your top ten video game levels ever, Nutty Acres would definitely belong in there for the variety there, the expansiveness, uh, how it showed off things like the water and the, the, the long draw distance and the different types of terrain. Uh, even just for the cleverness of having these, uh, like it was like a, a mobile that would hang over a child's crib, you know, the clouds hanging from the these quilt work, clouds hanging from the dome and gears turning them. Uh you know, it had the volcano with the lava rivers, and it had that airfield. Um, there was just so much that would reward exploration in specifically that area. The the level of detail. I mean, it, it's just, you know, you're looking at it, and it's like, oh, that's a nice grassland. And then you get over, and it's like, wait a second, that's like a quilt stitched yeah. into a blanket, stitched into a, you know, and it was all, like, made out of pieces. You could tell, you know, the whole premise of the game is that the Lord of Games, who's who's this gold CRT that's running Pong with a with a purple cape, <laughs> has brought Banjo, at Kazooie, and and uh, the witch Gruntilda, I think, or something like that, together in these in these battles. And the Lord of Games is the has made every single video game in the world. And you know, one of the jokes is, oh yeah, even like Grab by the Ghoulies, you know, even crappy games was was kind of the inside joke that was there. Um, so you could kind of see. You know how they made this, put this together. You know, it's like you can you can almost imagine that there's little oompa loompas behind or something <laughs> like that as the levels loading that they're stitching all these pieces together and hammering them together. But it's not even just the detail that you get with that. I mean, Nutty Acres is a beautiful level, but then when you go in in Act Three or Act oh, Four that's right. or Act Five, it's different. They change the it. volcano erupts. The volcano erupts, there's more ash in the air, the palette changes. Even in the hub world, there's like day-night cycles. Um, in Banjo-Land, which is this big museum level, that's that's um, all of these callbacks to Banjo-Kazooie and Banjo-Tooie, which I don't get, but if you're a big fan of it, it's like, oh, look at that, oh, look at that. They, they free, there's a big pond in the middle of things. One of the acts, they freeze it. It's ice. The other acts, it's water, and you've got and you've got you know just that kind of stuff. So it's not even it's not even static. They they change it and they change the palette and they change the color and they change the tone and they you know all of those things as well. Just the level of detail that they put into it is 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 lots of. Fun. I remember one of the I think it was just a boss battle, but at one point you've been in that coliseum for a long time, and then there's a battle where it fills with water and it's just a great yeah. big old uh, bowl of water basically that you can zip around in in a boat i, I love that they mixed it up like that uh, yeah so uh 
did you do that that little I forget the lizards by the way I, I just want to say Paul don't think that I didn't notice how fluidly you rattled off the backstory yeah I know <laughs> I know uh, I think that it, you know when you play that many hours in the game I mean I, I sat down with that thing when I first got it and it was like I came home from work and I was like don't bother me honey I'm going to go play some Banjo-Kazooie and, and I must have put three four hours into that thing every night for like five or six nights before i beat it now what did your wife think of this by the way seeing you you know driving little lego vehicles around with a with a talking bear in the driver's seat she, she thought yeah she thought it was a cute game she thought it was oh that's the that's the cute you know when i said i was going to do this and i was like okay i got to get on and try this out so i so i can talk about it and she said oh you're going to play the cute game again <laughs> that's no sword of the yeah. stars i'll tell you that much yeah, yeah. uh did you do that what was the lizard's name congo uh something clungo or something like that did you yeah. do that uh so are you a gamer score guy do you care about your gamer score no not particularly i mean if you go and you look at it i'm like at 20 percent of my max capabilities or something like so that. did you chase so, achievements in banjo kazooie ever um you know if if there was something there, you know, it, it would kind of lead me towards it. So you, you know, there's there's a, there's some real interesting ones, like the cow one. Ah, right. I, I think I sent you a screenshot of that. So Nutty Acres has the has the volcano in the middle of it, and if you grab one of the clockwork cows that's walking around and dump them in the lava, then you get an achievement for it. So so you know, it was things like that, just trying out just trying out goofy stuff like that is. is kind of what I did. So did you play that uh, that wretched little 2D game that the that the lizard has at the arcade? Did you do any of that? Yeah. 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 Boy, that was... Yes, I did. And I actually, when I went back, I didn't finish it the first time around, but as I was playing it this week uh, in preparation, I actually, I, I spent a good half an hour and finally finished it. Finally, finally went past the last level. Paul, that's, that's and, really sad. Yeah, it is. It's a, it, it's it's old school. It's sixteen bit. It's you know, there's one button you press jump, and it's crackerjack timing that you need right there, and you're gonna die eighty bajillion times, and 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 the damn thing crashes on you. You're there, you've, been that, you've been playing that thing for for you know fifteen minutes trying to get that one jump done, and it's like yes, I just got that jump, and then it dies. The whole thing it's seg faults. It actually throws up an equivalent to a blue screen of death, and then that Klungo guy comes back and he says, "Whoops, sorry, thought I fixed that bug. Here, let me reset the machine for you." And that you. You, you did not stay with it after that. You did not put up with that it that mistreatment that Rare you. Chance you know, did. I, I think that's I think that's probably where I quit. You know, in my first playthrough, and I was just like, but you know, if you do if you do complete it, you get a cool gamer pick of that of that lizard carrying around the world. So. Oh, you know what, dude? You're right. That is, I think it, it's not just like gamer score points. Like there's an actual no. payoff Bad. that you can yep. show off outside of the game, isn't there? Well, and if you take a look, there's actually they released some DLC for for nuts and bolts, and and the whole purpose of the DLC, the DLC is like six or eight challenges on the test track. So usually you only have the test track is where you go to try out your different stuff, and if you're playing multiplayer, that's your lobby where you can shoot each other while you're waiting for a game to start up. But um, so they actually put challenges in the test track, and I haven't completed all of them yet. But supposedly, if you complete all of those challenges then you get to play a new klungo game 
Oh. That's like the payoff for the DLC is to play a new Klungo. Oh, that is a disincentive if ever I heard one. <laughs> uh, did you know, here, I'm going to give you a fun fact about Banjo-Kazooie that you may not have known. So Banjo-Kazooie, of course, he's a bear. Kazooie is a bird. Did you know that Kazooie is a chick? I thought there was some hints towards that. There's never any voice in the game. Um, it's all text. They all do baby talk, and then there's text at the bottom. So after a little while, you're just like, A, 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 right. A, A, Get me in the vehicle, A, A, A. Even though, I mean, some of the humor isn't bad. Right. I mean, they, they do a lot of self-referential stuff and things like that. So it's it's got that kind of Bugs Bunny kind of, kind of you know, it, it's all made for kids, but the humor's sort of made for adults and it's very self-deprecating. They complain about how everybody complains that this isn't a platformer and things like that. So, so, uh, but, but I just kind of forward through all that. Uh, now, did you do any of the multiplayer? Because it has, I, I was very surprised at the level of multiplayer support they built into that game. That can't have been easy. You know, number one thing right there, thumbs up for this game, it's got a party system. Any game that, in this day and age, after Halo 2, any game where you play with other people and you don't have the ability to put together a party, throw it in the trash, <laughs> in my mind. So this has got a party system built into it. Yeah, ab- yeah, it's it's very interesting. Um, there's different, you can do races, there's playlists, you can do sports challenges, you can do team games, you can do ranked, non-ranked. Um, and it fully supports the different things that you've built as well. I mean, it's not like they had to cut out all the sophisticated stuff in the builder. All that you can use in multiplayer, can't you? Absolutely. Yeah. The one concession that they do is that is that you can't break pieces off of it. One of the cool things is is when you're playing the single player and you take damage, your parts actually start flying off, and you got to hit the uh, right bumper to have them reattach to use your magic wrench and have them reattach. So you're running around like Flynn in the Recognizer, you know, trying to keep everything together while you're going through all this all this hail of fire. But in the uh, in the multiplayer, you just have kind of a hit bar that goes down, and when it dies, you blow up and you start over. Well, were you just now trying to pass off a Tron reference as if people would know what that was? <laughs> <laughs> i got to keep my geek credit. Wow, right? wow <laughs> Paul. <laughs> and not even a very like widely known Tron reference. <laughs> Tron 2. Hopefully that one will be good like Batman was, right? I, I'm, Make a good video game, guys. My fingers crossed. Uh, so, so in the multiplayer, how would it because that was how it would model damage in single players. Your ship would literally, your car would literally fall apart. Uh, how does shooting and stuff work in multiplayer? Um, it works pretty well. I mean, it isn't just shooting, right? You've got, like, freeze rays. You've got oil slicks. You've got homing missiles and, and, and all of those sorts of things. Um, sticky balls where you can latch onto a guy and drag him around and, and, and things like that. So, um, you know, a lot of the games are set up with, well, all the games... Uh, when you play them, you can either play them, they're, they're set up logs choice or player's choice. And if they're player's choice, they always give you a default vehicle that's ah. halfway good at doing, at doing what you need to do. So if you don't have a boat designed for water polo to, to go grab these huge balls and throw them into goals, then you can take the default one and, and you'll do okay. But then, you know, you don't have that cool, you know, Star Destroyer looking thing or, <laughs> or whatever, you, you know, Halo... Halo uh, Pelican ship, you know, the, the playing with that. So. Now, uh, one of the things, do you, do you know offhand what the multiplayer community is like now and what it was like then? Did it ever develop I much actually, of one? 
I actually logged on this morning and, and took a look at it, and there were a couple people out there. It wasn't it wasn't a big thing, but I, I think one of the things is is that recently uh, nuts and bolts um, got onto games on demand, so you can just download ah. it straight to your hard drive, and it's twenty bucks U.S. So I think they saw maybe a little bit of resurgence from that, but um, I think mostly mostly the multiplayer community is around is around the blueprints is around the uh, is around you know showing off your uh, look at my coolest uh, you know ghost in the shell mecha that I made or things things like that. Now I vividly remember you making a sailing ship and giving it to me, and that that was awesome. Getting the the blueprints for this galleon that you made. Uh, what what and also you can look at for any challenge if i'm not mistaken you can look at the leaderboards and you can download the blueprint of the people who got the best time or the best score on certain challenges is that correct you can do that i know that you can i know that you can watch their run you can watch what they do to to get to that uh, everybody in the top 10 you can watch and see exactly what they did i'm not too sure you can get the blueprint okay. uh, you may be able to i haven't I, I haven't checked on that but you can definitely watch and see why they do it uh, one of the things that i kind of touched on before is that you know half of the challenges you don't get to pick your own vehicle um, the vehicle is picked for you it's called logs choice but one of the things i never really did in the game when I played through it is that you can modify your vehicle on the fly. Right. So you go you go back and you take a look at like the first the first mission, you know, the first challenge of the first act of the first world. And the guy who got the top time on that, I, I, I loaded up that thing, and it's like, what did he go? Did he take a path? Did he go left? Did he go right? No, what he did is he took apart his piece of crap trolley that he started with and turned it into this kick-ass motorcycle, and he, like, ripped it all apart and slapped it all back together. Choom, just shot down there and, and you know, did it in under 10 seconds. That's fantastic. Uh, now, so is there any provision to just browse blueprints or uh, or to look at other people's? Like, can I go online now and grab a Star Destroyer? I don't know. Um, that's a very good question. I don't think that there is a blueprint repository. I think it's all person to person. Yeah. I think you got to get people to send it. Although one of the cool things is that if you are playing multiplayer and you're in the lobby, so you're in the test track and everybody else is in the test track, you can either lock or unlock your design. And if you unlock your design, then anybody else in the game can take a picture of that design and you automatically download the blueprint. Oh, nice. And then... And then you can also exchange blueprints like we did when I sent you that that sailing ship is uh, send a kind of inner inner message email, uh, you know, inner game right, email. Right, right. That's similar to how they did. Uh, they were real big on that with Viva Pinata, this idea that if you have friends, there's an incentive to share things with your friends to give, you know, to exchange ideas and, and goodies from, from the game. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, okay, well, that's uh, so you're a huge Banjo Kazooie fan now. Uh, you, you can <laughs> say the backstory. Uh, so uh, this makes me wonder too. I I like the Lego Star Wars games and whatnot, and those were all great. But I, I it really disappoints me that that it it's not Lego who came up with something like this. This that, that fosters this sort of creativity and assembling models from different pieces. I mean, this strikes me as the sort of thing that. I hope somebody at Lego lost their job when this came out, uh, yeah. because this is what the Lego license should have been doing all along, I think. You kind of wonder what's going to happen with that Lego MMO that uh, yes. NetDevil, I believe, exactly. is, is, gonna, is, is, is doing right now. I think I saw a YouTube video about the, the, the starting point of it, and it was like the first 10, 15 minutes, and you never really built anything yeah. in those 
So it's a, it's a little little scary, little. But but hopefully they can do something good with that. That's, I mean, you know, and now as a new dad, I gotta I gotta be on the lookout for uh, for games that I can play in front of my kids and play with my kids. No Dragon Age for you. <laughs> no, not not until not until the young ones have gone to bed. Uh, okay, no, Paul. I don't know if you know this. I'm about to ask you a completely random question that has nothing to do with anything we've talked about. You ready for this? Go for it. How much of the world have you unshrouded? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, um, kind of a kind of a RTS uh, fog of war thing. Huh? How much of the map? How much of the map have I uncovered? Exactly. Um, I, I would have to say pretty much the continental United States, a little bit of Canada, Alaska. Living in San Diego, of course, I've been to Mexico a couple of times. Okay. Um, Hawaii, and then parts of Europe. Okay, what's well, the furthest south you've been? Uh, the furthest Mexico, south I've been. Probably yeah, probably Rosarito. And what about so so Hawaii? You've never been to Asia. Uh, you, you never gotten never unfogged the map past Hawaii, huh? No, <laughs> no, haven't gone haven't gone past the dateline. No. <laughs> okay, good. So let me see. I don't. I have no idea what percentage that would be. I'm just going to throw out. I'm going to say you've seen 20 percent of the map. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so there will. I'm, I'm sure there's a Google Maps API or something like that out there that you can do. For you know what? Yeah, exactly. Enter the farthest points you've gone, northwest, east, and south, and uh, sort of get a map of what you've seen. Uh, so there will be a thread on everything else titled How Much of the World Have You Unshrouded. Uh, post in there, uh, and in your post, you must sign your name like I do, beginning with a dash followed by your name. And that's a habit I, I just cannot shake from Usenet days. Uh, so if you post an answer to How Much of the World You've Unshrouded and then dash with your username, you will go into a drawing for a free crappy game on the platform of your choice. Do you, do you have a Wii, by the way? Actually, I do. Uh, yes, yes, I, I do. I can't tell you how many terrible Wii games I have. <laughs> do you, you know, I'll just send you some. You want some terrible Wii games? <laughs> sure. Why not? I, you know, I've, I've got a couple of not-so-crappy ones, and that's about it. What, so I have an, What would you say are the not-so-crappy Wii games? Um, you know, I've got Super Mario Galaxy, but I haven't finished it, so boo on that. Um, at your insistence or reading what you've written, I went and picked up House of the Dead Overkill. That's a blast. Yeah. That's that's a fun little game. I've got Boom Blocks, but not the sequel. So, so here, Paul, actually, in talking about uh, Banjo-Kazooie Nuts and Bolts, the sequel to Boom Blocks reminds me a lot of some of the appeal of Banjo-Kazooie. They're, they're, they're much more focused on how to make the builder accessible and to make you want to roll up your sleeves and get into that. And they also do an excellent job with online sharing. Um, you know, there's, you, can, you can press a button and you can look at, the, at levels other people have made. And I really wish that Banjo-Kazooie had something like that with their, with their blueprints. But Boomblocks Bash Party is great at that. Very cool. These guys did a great job. Well, well, Paul, thank you for hanging out with me today. Uh, I will be back next week with John E. Motion, and we will be talking about close combat. Are, are you enough of a grognard to have ever played the close combat games? Yes, I actually have, yeah. Uh, big into strategy games, so I, ha I have played close combat. So, like, those are like serious hardcore war games. That's Why is a guy like you then playing a kitty game like Banjo-Kazooie? From close <laughs> combat to Banjo-Kazooie? That's right. That's just crazy talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, Paul, thanks so much for hanging out with me, and uh, I will be seeing you around on the forum.
Technologic. Technologic. Technologic.